I invite your attention this morning to the book of 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3. A uh, little ambitious this morning. This is not uh, just a real light sermon material, uh, and it contains quite a bit in it, and I knew that we would have a, a little bit shorter preaching time this morning because it is Resurrection Sunday and all the activities that we had, so I will try to do my best to be mindful of the time. If you'll do your best to give me your attention and listen fast, then maybe I'll be able to preach fast. So uh, our thoughts for this morning, though, is triumph upon triumph. Triumph upon triumph. In 1 Peter chapter 3, beginning in verse 18, the Bible says, For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit, by which also he went and preached unto the spirits in prison, which sometime were disobedient when once the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah while the ark was a-preparing, wherein few, that is, eight souls, were saved by water. The like figure, going back and referring to water again, whereunto even baptism doth also now save us, not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ who has gone into heaven and is on the right hand of God, angels and authorities and power being made subject unto him. Father, we come to you again today and we bow to humbly give you praise. You are the author and the finisher of faith. You are the savior of of, of a lost and unworthy man's soul. And it is your son Jesus that has paid the price for our sins and has offered to every man the gift of eternal life. Father, I pray that if there's one here today that does not know that gift, Lord, that you would deal with their heart even beginning now. I pray for those of us that are your children. We know that gift, but we've not been living the way that we ought to, have been as faithful to you or been serving you or sharing that message as much as well to. God, may you convict our hearts and may everything done today be to uplift you and bring honor and glory to your name. And we ask these things in your name. Amen. Triumph upon triumph. Let me ask you, what really happened that day on the cross? And what really happened while he was in the tomb? I mean, did he just lay as a lifeless body for three days there upon that slab of of rock? Did Did he really raise from the dead? And does this have anything to do with you and I some 2,000 plus years later. In an attempt to discredit the Word of God, many people, uh, they debate the accurate recording of the historical uh, events and truths. They, they say that uh, these things are questionable. They say that you can uh, deny them. It can be okay for somebody to have these truths and not for somebody else. And that truth is not absolute. And that your truth is your truth. And, and that's acceptable. And that there is no accountability beyond what your own truth dictates. Some say that if you want to believe this, that's fine. But it really has nothing to do with where you and I live today. Many contend that Jesus, literally upon the cross, fainted. 
that the agony and the torture and the pain that, that his body had endured to that point, and, and make no mistake about it, it was agony and pain that, that goes beyond anything that any of us have ever experienced. And so many say that he really didn't die, that rather his life became uh, his body became almost lifeless as he fainted there upon the cross and they took his life, uh, seemingly lifeless body down and they wrapped it in all the grave clothes and he remained uh, unconscious, if you will, almost in a coma state until they laid him on that rock slab in the garden tomb and that when they laid him on that rock slab that the coolness of that rock slab revived him that he got up and he took off the grave clothes and he walked out of that tomb. I would submit to you this morning, that's not what the Bible says. He did not faint. The man, Jesus Christ, died. And I'm going to prove that to you from the Word of God this morning. Others uh, talk about the, uh, the events that happened that day, and, and they walk around believing that uh, all manner of things about his death, that was it even real? Did he die? Did he raise from the grave? And again, what does it have to do with you and I? I want you to know this morning, if he did not die, if he was not put in a grave, and if he did not resurrect, then we walk around in utter hopelessness and despair. If, if we have hope, in Jesus Christ, but our hope is only in this life that you and I now live, the Bible says we are most pitiful among all men. What is the point? If there's nothing beyond this life, then what is the point? If Jesus did not come, if he was just the myth of man, uh, if he uh, did not die on the cross, if he was not buried, if he did not rise again from the grave the third day, then we might as well live as if there is no tomorrow and live for all the joy that this life can give us. But if all the other be true, then we need to understand that there is something more than this life and there is an accountability before him one of these days. I want you to understand that many people felt like that when he died on the cross. In fact, the gospel account says that they would come by and they'd wag their head. That is, they would shake their head and say, oh, what a, what a shame. I mean, he's only 33 years old. What, what a sad thing to see a man's life taken away from him so soon. Uh, what a, what, a, what a, a, a horrible thing to consider that he, he had to suffer so much in his dying. Many people saw what happened on the cross and said, it is the end of this Jesus of Nazareth. We have finally put this troublemaker down. Others were not quite so harsh, but they saw the cross of Calvary as defeat. I'm here to tell you this morning, based on the scriptures, the cross of Calvary is not a defeat. It is a triumph that is stacked upon triumph this morning. 1 Peter chapter 3, 18, uh, chapter 3 verses 18 through 22, and I want you to see the triumph in death. The triumph in death. Did he die? Absolutely. But was it defeat? 
Absolutely not. Go back to your text this morning and look in 1 Peter chapter 3 and notice a few of the phrases that Peter lists there for us uh, as he begins to describe this event. And, and just so that we'll understand, what he's doing is uh, he is telling these New Testament saints that are suffering severe and he's giving them a, uh, an encouragement. Remain faithful to Christ. Remain true to Him. Yes, you're suffering now, but suffering will turn into joy in the morning. Suffering will lead to that place of triumph. Isn't it funny? We as children of God today, we love the idea of triumph, but we don't like the idea of having to suffer to get there. But you look at Scriptures and it'll tell you the way to triumph. Is suffering. Paul wrote in Philippians chapter 2 and he said, Let this mind be in you which was in Christ Jesus, who although he was equal with God and had that outward expression of being God, he took that off and he set it aside. He didn't cease being God. He took off that outward expression and he put on a new outward expression. And that was the uh, expression of humanity. And he came and he walked among men and he suffered, was obedient and suffered even unto death, the death of the cross. And the very next thing Paul says, Wherefore, what does wherefore mean? Because of this. Because of what? Because he suffered and was obedient, God has highly exalted him and given him a name above all other names. We don't like to think of the idea that suffering will lead to our exaltation. But it did in Jesus, and Peter's going to talk about that this morning. All right, so he says in chapter 3, verse 18, is, and, and he's again reminding them, and he says, For, in the same way, for Christ has also once suffered for sin, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. I want you to know this morning, Peter says, and Peter was there. <laughs> Peter was there, and he watched it. Peter said, this Jesus was put to death in the flesh. Many of the uh, eyewitnesses have, have declared and have taught. The Word of God says that, that he died upon the cross. It doesn't say that he fainted. It doesn't say that he swooned, but that he died. It is the testimony of Peter. It is the testimony of the Word of God. It is Jesus Christ's words himself that he would die, and that he had died when he was resurrected from the grave. The Roman soldiers, listen, those that gain nothing by the story, or by, by giving evidence to the story of who Jesus is and what Jesus did, they have nothing to gain from it, and yet their testimony is, is that Jesus died. You know, how, you know how you know that beyond any shadow of a doubt? You see, as they, as they crucified uh, those three men that day, Jesus in the middle and the two malefactors on the other side of them, they came to these malefactors as they did with everybody they crucified and broke their legs. You see, when you're crucified, that's uh, part of how you die is you literally asphyx asphyxiate because you cannot bear anymore to push up on that spike and pull up on those spikes to stretch the diaphragm enough to get some air. So after a period of time, you literally just suffocate. And so that this wouldn't go on for days and days, they would come and they would break the knees of the, of the men that were hanging there. And that way they couldn't push up and pull up anymore and it would hasten their death. They came to Jesus after they'd already broke the malefactor's legs. And here's what the Romans said. There's no need to break his legs. He's already dead. 
And to prove the point, they stuck a spear into his side, and coming out of his side was water mixed with blood, which was another evidence that Jesus had died. So throughout the Word of God, throughout the testimony, not of just his disciples, but of those that have nothing to gain by it, the testimony was is that he died. You say, well, now, wait a minute, Virgil. If you was going to tell us how this is such a triumph, how is it a triumph that he's not able to breathe anymore? How is it a triumph that his life has ebbed away? Well, go back and look at that verse, if you will. For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. You find two reasons why Christ suffered. There was two reasons why he suffered. Number one, to pay for sins. And number two, that he might bring us to God. Go back to the illustration that I used this morning. Here we are separated from God because of our sins. And listen to me, religion's not going to fix it. Coming to church on Christmas and Easter and, and putting money in an offering plate and joining a church and having your name on a church roll, none of that's going to work. None of that. Those are steps trying to get there, and you can't get there other than the blood of Jesus Christ. You see, the Bible says that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. And it had to be a certain kind of blood. It had to be pure blood, spotless, sinless. But Charles couldn't do it. He's a good guy. I like him. Love him as a brother in Christ. He's a deacon one of our, in our church and has served this church and done a lot of things, but... His blood is not pure. Sister Pat agrees with me. She says, you're right, preacher. His blood ain't pure. It took the blood of a perfect, sinless sacrifice. And so when Jesus came and they nailed him to a tree, and no doubt all of hell was rejoicing, thinking, we got him, we'll keep him here. Yes, it was said that he'll raise, but we don't believe, we believe that death can conquer him. We believe we can hold him down. The celebration had begun, but what they did not know is death could not handle him, and that the grave could not hold him, and that the cross, the instrument of his death, was going to be the instrument of his triumph. Which, by the way, if you go back and look at Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, is exactly what God said was going to happen from the very beginning of time. I will put enmity between your seed and the woman, and that enmity is going to wind up bruising the, seed, the heel of the seed of the woman, but it will crush the head of the seed of the serpent. What God said in Genesis 3, 15 was, there will come a day, my son will come to this earth, and they will nail him to a tree, and they will think it's defeat, but all it will be is simply a little... A little bruising of his heel because it's not going to last long but the same act that was going to bruise his heel is going to crush the head of Satan so it was a triumph how well he paid for sin he paid for sin and he brought us back to God let me just share a couple things with you very quickly if you want to look at the uh, the Greek it, it literally would say this since Christ also once and never again concerning sins experienced, suffered, or endured. I love that. Concerning sin, 
he endured. And I love the way that it's worded. Once and never again. You see, they brought their lambs to the temple and they'd offer it and they'd bring them back next year and they'd offer again. And they'd bring them back the next year and they'd offer another one again. When the Lamb of God came, His lifeblood was shed upon Calvary's cross and it'll never happen again because His blood takes away the sins of the world when we respond in faith. Concerning sins, He suffered Brother David, one of our Sunday school teachers, Brother David Gardner, likes to do a little bit of the word study. And as you look at this verse, chapter, uh, verse 3, chapter 18, and it talks about being put to death. That word death there or, uh, in that area is pasco. It is the same word that we get paschal lamb or Passover. And so the image in Peter's mind would be like taking the, 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 the chin of a, of a lamb and putting a knife under him and just slitting his throat and catching all the blood as a sacrifice. That was the vision that was in Peter's mind when he said, the Lamb of God suffered as a Passover lamb. And had he not, my friend, sins are yet to be paid for and you and I are not brought back to the Father. i got to hurry. Trump, triumphant in the grave. How in the world can there ever be any triumph in a grave? Have you ever considered what happened for those three days? I, I don't imagine many of us would be honest to raise our hand, but have you ever in your mind just thought, well, I guess they buried him on that day, whatever day it was. I know the world says Friday, but whatever day it was that they buried him. They, I think most of us think that he was placed there and... Really, nothing happened until that Sunday morning when he rose from the grave. That's not what 1 Peter says. In fact, what Peter does is he says, listen, he died in the flesh, but his spirit remained alive. His spirit remained alive. A lot of people say, well, no, that's talking about the resurrection. That's not happened yet. That's not the grammar of the, of the language here. And there is, I realize there's a definite article there in your, in your Bibles, but the Greek original manuscripts does not have a definite article. So it's not talking about the Holy Spirit there. It's not talking about his resurrection. What Peter is doing is saying, listen, the man, Jesus, was graveyard dead on that rock. But the God, Jesus, was alive and was on a mission. He was on a mission. Those three days, he didn't lay lifeless. His body did. But the Spirit, Jesus Christ, was still alive and it was at work. So what did he do? Well, the Bible says that he went and preached to those saints or those that were in prison. Say, so, well, I'm not sure what you're talking about, Brother Jeff. Here's what happened. The word that he uses here is not evangelize, which we often use to talk about preaching the gospel, but is keruso, which means to simply declare a message. And the Bible says that he went to those souls that were in prison and he declared a message. Well, who are these souls? And most commentators today, all those guys that y'all want to go by and read the books of, are going to tell you these souls are those, uh, uh, those uh, angels that did not keep their first estate who had come and inhabited with man during the time of the flood. And that's foolishness. I'm sorry, but it's foolishness. That's not what we're talking about. Why would Jesus need to go and tell angels who have fallen that he is the victor? They already know that. So how do you know that? Because the Bible says that the head angel that fell, Satan, knows his time is running out. He knows he's already defeated. 
That's not what happened here. And he didn't go and preach to people that, that were lost and, and had died in their lost condition and now were in, in, in the place that, that we refer to as Hades or hell. He didn't go and, and, and offer them another opportunity to be saved for then God would become a respecter of persons and God is not a respecter of persons and God would not give these people an extra chance that he wouldn't give to everybody else. So what did he do? Well, when you study scriptures, you're going to find out that in the Old Testament and up until Christ died, there was what is called Hades, the place of departed spirits. And if you'll read and study in the book of Luke where you find that there was rich man and there was Lazarus and they were separated by a great gulf, but yet you could look over to the other side. See, that whole thing was Hades and it was divided by a great chasm on this side was those that were lost, and on this side was those that were children of God. All right? And what Jesus did is he went, I love this part, he went to that place where the spirits of those children of God were, even those children of God that were disobedient. You know why I like that? Because I'm not like y'all. I'm a disobedient child of God sometimes. And when I'm a disobedient child of God, God doesn't say, I'm done with that boy. I'm finished with him. When God saved me, he saved me forever. Doesn't matter what I do. I've talked to people who said, well, this person committed suicide, and so they can't go to heaven. Then you don't know the power of the blood of Jesus Christ. Well, this person's committed murder. This person's committed adultery. This person's done this or that and the other. If they were saved before they did any of those things, they remain saved. And they're in heaven now. But before he died on the cross, the price of sin had not been paid. All that sin could be is atoned or covered up. But when he died on the cross, his blood now had paid the price of sin so that they're no longer covered, but they are removed they don't exist anymore. So what he did is he went to those that in the time of Noah did not listen to Noah who was a preacher of righteousness and read this in the book of Hebrews. See, we get this all wrong too. We think Noah built an, uh, an ark for the saving of everybody, or all the animals and every human being that would come. That's not the case. The book of Hebrews said that Noah built an ark for the saving of his household. And he preached righteousness. And he told the world that God's judgment is coming because of the evilness of men. Oh, how we need preachers today that will not be soft-shoed and not beat around the bush, but will stand and tell this world we are an evil world and God's going to bring judgment upon her. You better get your house in order. That's what Noah did. And what Noah was doing is saying God's judgment's coming and if you care anything about your family and if you believe what I'm telling you, here's what you better do, men. You better start building an ark for the saving of your household as well. And they wouldn't do it. Oh, Noah, you're crazy. God's not going to destroy the world. The same things that people are saying today. And they didn't realize until it began to rain and then God shut the ark, and they began to beat on the door. Let us in! We're going to die out here. Please let us in. But it was too late. You and I have windows of opportunity. If you're here this morning, you do not know Christ as your personal Savior. You have a window of opportunity to be saved. You can squander it, but I don't know how many more opportunities you will have. So even though there were those that were not obedient enough to 
build an ark for the saving of their household, obviously they were children of God. And so their soul is on that side of Hades where the souls of saved people was. We know this also because the Bible says hell hath enlarged herself. <laughs> There's a whole lot of people just can't wait to get there apparently. And they're dying by the truckloads and going to hell. And hell has to keep enlarging itself. Those borders are growing. And it's able to be done because the other side, that chasm is no longer there. And the other side where the departed souls of the saved is already gone. And I know that because this is what Peter's telling us. While his lifeless body laid in the grave, the soul of Jesus, that spirit that remains alive, it went down into that part of Hades where the souls of the departed saved was. And he preached the message and he gave them a caruso. He said, triumph is come. I'm not dead. I'm not stuck in that grave. My body's over there, but I'm here among you living in triumph. And that's exactly what the word Caruso means. It was that messenger that was sent ahead to announce the victory. And so Jesus went to those departed souls that were already saved, and he wasn't giving them another opportunity to be saved. He was just simply telling them, listen, get this, this is good. He was simply telling them, what you've been trusting in and waiting for has just happened. My blood was shed. And I've already been to the Father and I presented the blood to Him. And you know what my Father said? I love it when Brother Dave Gardner pray, pay, yeah, prays because he does this a lot. I hear him pray this pretty often when I call on him. He thanks God that the Father saw the sacrifice and said, I'm satisfied with that. I accept that penalty. I get this, y'all. I don't accept that penalty as the payment for your sins, son, because you don't have any sins. I accept your blood as the payment for the sins of guys like Jeff Chrysler. I accept that blood as the payment of, of even Trey's sins. I accept that blood as the payment of sins, not only, according to the Word of God, not only of all those that believe, but I will accept as payment for the sins of the entire world. A man that dies and goes to hell, it's not because his blood wasn't taken care of, uh, his sins wasn't taken care of, it's because he had not accepted Christ who's already taken care of his sins. So even in the death, it's triumph. And he goes and he says, guys, we can go home now. If you're confused about what I'm saying, understand this. There is no side of hell now. No side of Hades that departed spirits that you and I go and wait. The blood's been shed. The blood's been applied. The child of God now that dies goes straight to be with the Lord. It's a triumph. He triumphed in death. He triumphed in the grave. And then he triumphed on the earth. As you read the rest of the text... Peter talks about that he died and, and, and to bring us back to God. And that for those of us that are immersed, the, the, the idea of, of baptism is not put in the water behind that screen. Every time a child of God, most children of God hear the word baptized, that's the first thing that goes to their mind, doesn't it? Oh, well, we're talking about getting dunked in the, in the, in the tank back there. My grandkids, every time we have baptism, they, they want to know when they can go get dunked in the tank. But that's not what the Bible's talking about here. Neither is it in Romans 6, by the way. 
not unless you believe in baptismal regeneration. The word baptism means immersed. And I don't know about you, but when I was saved, I became immersed in Jesus Christ. And that's how I received eternal life. Not because I was immersed in some kind of water. And every time, listen to me, every time when just like a few months ago when, when, when Trevor came to me and, and, and when Connor came to me and when others have come to me and Stephanie since I've been here and many others have come and said, you know what, I, I'm not saved. But I want to be. And every time that happens and they genuinely are saved, there's another triumph. There's another triumph. And I, I don't mean to belittle. I don't mean to, to make light of it. And I don't mean to, 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 to be any way disrespectful. But every time there's another triumph and a, child of God, uh, and, a, and a lost child becomes a child of God, Satan gets kicked right in the teeth all over again. And I love it. I love it. Even in this life now, he is still triumphing. One last thing and then we'll hurry. There is triumph in heaven. Look at the last verse of chapter 3. Who has gone into heaven, and he is now on the right hand of God. Angels and authorities and powers being made subject unto him. You see, he came to this earth, and he wrapped himself in the flesh of humanity. While he was here, he grew hungry like I do. He grew tired like I do. He felt the, 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 the problems of growing older and aches and pains. People don't even think about it, but listen to me. Uh, he suffered in, in all the points that you and I suffer. And if he didn't, then he did not much good to us to go to and find help and strength. But he knows what it's like to live in this earth and have to suffer. And there upon the cross, he suffered all the pain and all the agony. All the torture. And he listened as they would walk by and they would laugh at him and say, Oh, this guy, he, he talked about saving people and my gracious, he can't even save himself. Look at him. They'd laugh and they'd mock at him. He experienced for a brief period of time when he had to call his father by another name than he'd ever called him by. It had always been Father. But this time he had to cry, my God, my God, why? Why have you turned your back upon me? Why, why are we not where we were? You know, sometimes you ask questions to make somebody else think. <laughs> he knew why. I think he was making a point for you and I to understand. He had paid the price of separation from the Father, which is the price of sin, so that you and I wouldn't have to. He had done all that. The world laughing at him. The world still laughing at him. The world still thinks you and I are foolish people. Simple minded to believe all this stuff. One of these days. And this world will laugh no longer. Because one of these days. He's going to return from that high and exalted position that he has at the right hand of the Father, and everything already being made subject unto Him, already beneath Him, and He is going to return in power.
power and in glory. And the Bible says that they will look upon him whom they have pierced and they will know this is the Son of God. He will be exalted. He has triumphed in his death. He has triumphed while in the tomb. He's been triumphed on this earth ever since then. And even today, there is triumph in heaven. But mankind's going to know and see that triumph again as he rules and reigns on this earth. I told you I wanted to make sure that you understood what this has to do with you and me. What it has to do for me, and could be for you and may be, but what it has to do for me is I get to share in that triumph. I get to lay claim to that triumph. His triumph is now my triumph as well. I was telling somebody here a while back, you know, I used to be one of those guys that had such a hot head and I'd just lose my temper all the time. And I remember I, I literally, it, it convicted me. And I, I'd go and I'd pray and I'd talk to the preacher about it. Man, why can't I just, every time I turn around, I'm, I'm winding up in a fight or I'm winding up getting in trouble at school. I'm winding up doing this and that and the other. I get in trouble by my mom and dad and it's always because I'm just so hot-headed and I just lose it. Brother Stanford, why can I not? You know what? I have a triumph over sin now through Jesus Christ. He breaks the power that sin has a hold of me. I don't have to serve sin now. I can triumph over sin because he triumphed. I can triumph over death because he triumphed over death. Just as sure as the grave cannot hold him, if the Lord does not come back before then, they'll place my body in the grave, but it ain't going to hold me neither. For when he calls, I'm going home. His triumph, our triumph. But if you do not know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you can't lay claim to that. If you've never come to that place where you put your trust and faith in Him, then you can't lay claim to it. And I'll close with this, and I promise I will. Maybe you are His child, but you're like some of those in the days of Noah. You're not really quite obedient to Him. You hear preaching every now and then. You know you ought to do better. You know you ought to do different. You know you ought to be a better child of God. I want you to know this morning, God doesn't throw you out. God doesn't say, oh, I've tried and tried that boy. Even those who are disobedient, God will bring forth from the grave and take them home. Say, so, well then, <laughs> what's the point then? I might as well go ahead and live the way I'm living. Yeah, but when you get there, there's going to be an accountability. There's going to be an answering to God. Let's stand very quietly. Our musicians come. Father, we thank you. Lord, we celebrate today. Baptist people are not very well known for celebrating, it seems like, but we celebrate today. The knowledge that you have overcome death, hell, the grave, Satan, Sin, Father, you have defeated all of them.
you have stacked triumph after triumph through your son Jesus. And that triumph can be ours this morning. We don't have to live in this old, dark, sinful world without hope and full of despair. We can walk in the midst of this darkened world knowing one day we will triumph over this dark world. Lord, get honor and glory. If there's a decision that needs to be made today, help us, Father, that we might surrender and follow you. We ask these things in your precious name. Amen.